no helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I've never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a <laughs> How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag. And I, I hope the swag bag. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What's happening, folks? Welcome back. Beltway Golfer Podcast, episode 42. Alex Dixon here. Earlier this week, got invited out to TPC Potomac at Avenel Farm and got the honor to sit down and do a podcast with Jim Bones Mackay, legendary caddy and now part-time broadcaster after being part of the, the, the coverage for a better part of four years, now full-time caddy again with, with Justin Thomas. Total honor to sit down with him. Got invited out as part of kind of promotion for the Wells Fargo Championship, which is going to be held at TPC Potomac at Avenel Farm the first week of May, May 2nd through 8th. So the second half of this episode is actually with the tournament director, Gary Soba, who provided some, some good insight on, you know, where the field is at, the strength of field, you know, putting together such a tournament like this, the history of the Wells Fargo Championship. Bones was actually in town for an event the, the evening that we did the podcast with some members and actually did a Q&A on stage, and the host was uh, JP from the Sports Junkies. If you're listening to this and, you, and you're local to D.C., which, which the vast majority of listeners are, he's one of the four Sports Junkies and one of 6.7. I bring that up because he actually talks about the Q&A that Bones did on their show the next morning, which you can find in podcast form if you search their, their February 23rd episode. They talk about it in the first five or ten minutes uh, of the show. Shout out to the, the PR, both PR directors, Brian Bishop and Lee Patterson, who invited myself out to do the podcast. They also had the crew from Golf DMV, who did a podcast released earlier this week with the same two subjects. They sat down with Bones and Gary Soba. I haven't listened yet, but it'll be interesting to hear kind of our different styles of interviewing and podcasting the exact same subjects on the exact same day. We kind of took turns sitting down with Bones and Gary. But it, it was cool. It was an honor to be asked to do it. It was, it was interesting timing. You know, Bones is former employer, Phil Mickelson, was in the news quite a bit last week to the point where his public apology actually came out while we were sitting down with Bones. Realized that after the fact. But if you're looking for any additional insight on those topics, you're not going to find it here. The timing of this podcast and everything going on, you know, we didn't go there. We had plenty to talk about outside of that. Bones is a total pro, and, and it was an honor to meet him and sit down with him. Some other exciting news for local golf, the Solheim Cup is coming out to RTJ, Robert Trent Jones Golf Club in Gainesville, Virginia, announced for 2024 in two years. Adding to the list of professional golf tournaments that are going to be played in the D.C. area over the next decade, decade and a half, with all the events going on at Congressional, Wells Fargo this year at Avenel. Part of what we talk about with Gary Soba, the tournament director, is that the normal site for Wells Fargo, which is Quail Hollow down in Charlotte, you know, this year has the President's Cup, which is why the Wells Fargo Championship is moved here for the one year to, to, to Potomac, Maryland. But 
Quail Hollow is getting the PGA Championship in 2025, so there may be an opportunity to come back in another three years if things go well this week. So in part, this is kind of a, an audition for TC, TPC Potomac excuse me, and, and the D.C. area golf community to you know, sell out every day so that we have a good chance and are in good standing to get this tournament again in three years. But the Solheim Cup and the Wells Fargo, you know, we got the LPGA Championship coming to Congressional late early summer, and then all the other tournaments that are lined up for Congressional over the next 10, 15 years. If the future is bright for professional golf in the D.C. area and just everything that's going on around here related to golf, it's exciting times. cool news. But let's get to it. Here it is, episode 42, Bellway Golfer Podcast. we got Jim Bones Mackay and Gary Soba, tournament director of Wells Fargo. Here it is. Enjoy. All right, we're out here at, uh, at TPC Avenel in Potomac, Maryland, uh, with one of the most legendary caddies in the history of golf. Can I, can I say that? Yeah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You can just caddy will do. Just caddy will do? Yeah. I, you are in the Caddy Hall of Fame. Yeah, but, you know, you get into the Caddy Hall of Fame, I figured out, by going to the first team with really, <laughs> really good players. So, uh, you know, I was lucky to work for, for one for 25 years, and I'm doing it again now, so... Uh, they were nice enough to put me in there, but it's more a tip of a hat, I think, of the players than anything else. It was wild. I, I, I was listening, as prep for this, I was listening to uh, a few podcasts that you've done over the years. Um, and I think it was Shane Bacon you did a podcast with. And he, he broke out a statistic that said, uh, I think it was just with the, for the 25 years with, with, with Phil, he calculated based on how many rounds you've played, like you, ba- you just came just short of walking the entire circumference of the globe. In, in rounds. Yeah, no, I, it's funny. I, yeah, somebody, it's funny how, how you run into people out there that analyze things from a different viewpoint, at least, than I do. Somebody told me I once it was walking around twice. So I don't know what's right and what's wrong. And then we were at the British Open one year after, after Phil lost that, that, that British Open to um, Henrik Stenson, legendary British Open in 2016, excuse me, Open Championship. That's a that's a fine for me. Sure. Um, but this guy came up to me and he he was like a mathematician from like Finland and he said I've done the math and Phil's performance in that week that you finished second was the fifth greatest performance in the history of golf of modern day golf. He sure. said going back anyone in years and I was like well I thought to myself well that's interesting but actually that makes it sting even worse. You know what I mean? It's just this guy had broken down all this data and realized that uh, these guys separating themselves. From the from the field by double digit strokes, and you know somebody had to finish second, and you know wasn't the, the greatest stat to hear. I remember that stat, fifth, fifth best round of all time, and didn't come away with a W. Yeah, uh, twenty five years with Phil. Then you did four years as on course broadcaster. Uh, almost like if you if you search social media, Twitter, uh, any anybody that has anything to say about your time as a broadcaster, it's nothing but positive. Highlight highlight of of, of many of the tournaments, many of the broadcasts. Uh, yet you decided to go back, uh, back to caddying now with, with Justin Thomas. Um, what, what, what are some of your takeaways as being a broadcaster? How was that experience over the, over the four years? Fascinating. I have so much respect for those men and women. I mean, the very first tournament I did as an employee was the Open Championship in 17. And you fly over there on the plane, and they pick you up at the airport, and they take you to the TV compound, and it's like a city. Mm-hmm. And you get these production memos, and it, it tells you, how many people it's going to take to put this show on for the folks back in the United States and whoever else is, is picking up that feed. And it's amazing. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Can you imagine finding accommodations for them in some, you know, out-of-the-way part of England or Scotland? I don't know how they do it. 
but it's it's a fascinating business. I learned so much. I got to do an Olympics. This guy, Tommy Roy, it was his idea to plug in caddies to do this. I owe him so much. It was an amazing experience. And uh, I, I, I owe those, those, those guys so much. And uh, I'm going to do a little bit with them on Justin's off weeks, including this week. And uh, I can't wait to see everybody. I read that down at the Honda Classic. And did I see you? Are you doing Bay Hill as well? I am. Excellent. Have you, were you able to take, I would imagine, you know, being, being on the bag for 25 straight years, and so, like, basically every tournament, you're, you're in there, you're, you're, you're walking the fairways, and now as an outside, or those four years as a broadcaster, looking at it from a different lens, from a different angle, is there anything that, I don't know, you're able to, to glean or take from those years, you know, not on the bag with your player, now that you're back with JT, uh, to help it out? Yeah, when, when you're out there doing TV, these boom mics are so sensitive, they're picking up these amazing caddy conversations. So if I'm out there caddying in a tournament, I can't hear it because I'm over here in the rough or in the different part of the fairway. I'm not hearing the conversation between Colin Morikawa and his caddy. But when you're out there doing television, you're hearing the caddy conversation of every player that you're showing. So I'm learning a lot, you know, about caddying, about golf, about these players. Because, you you know, to me, you, you know, that's where a caddy is going to really make his bacon, so to speak, is, is in these, these back and forth and the advice and, and how he or she presents their case to their player. So it was very educational for me. That, that's kind of unusual. As, as, not, you know, as a caddy, are you ever kind of in the back of your head, you know, minding what you say uh, because there may be mics or because something they're picking up? Like I'll give you an example. One of Justin Thomas's good friends, Jordan Spieth, him and Michael Greller, mm-hmm. it's, it's commented on a lot how they're, they've, you know, it's, you oftentimes can hear their back and forth quite a bit. Does that go through your head at all? Like are you watching what you say? Uh, no, because, you know, these players hire you for a reason. And they hire you to give you, you know, to give them your opinion. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's the easiest thing as a caddy to have the player say, I like seven. And you go, hey, man, I like seven, too. But that's not why you're there. Yeah. You know, you're there to tell, you know, he or she exactly what you think. And so to me, that's one of the most important facets of being caddy is don't be a yes man. Don't be a yes woman. Sure. You know, it, it, you know, have an opinion. And certainly when you get in those big, big, big situations, have an, have an opinion and make it count. And of course, on, on those occasions where you're wrong, you can't be afraid to jump right back in to the fire on the very next hole with them. So, I mean, to me, you know, catting is about the economy of words, knowing what you're talking about, making your point, get in, get out. Yeah. Um, so, Justin, you've been on Justin Thomas's bag full time since last fall, so not quite a full year. I'm just kind of curious because, you know, you, you've early on in your career, you, you caddy for a bit with... Larry Mize, right? Curtis Strange, Scott yeah. Simpson. But Phil Mickelson was the, the full 25 years. Uh, the biggest names, obviously, you know, Phil and now Justin. Any major differences? I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, what's, what's it like to be on, on Justin's bag uh, after being on the same person's bag for 25 years? Any, anything wildly different? Oh, yeah. All those, all those guys, in my experience, are different. They all do things a little bit differently. You know, the thing about Phil, and he'd be the first person to tell you this if he was in this room, is I'm going to play ultra-aggressively. You know, he was very unapologetic about that early in his career. This is what I do. I'd rather, you know, stay home, you know, if I, if I couldn't, you know, play the way I want to play. So, you know, you have to, you know, learn them. You know sure. what I mean? You, it's not Justin or Phil's job to make uh, accommodations to me. It's my job to figure them out and how they like to do things and make adjustments that I need to make. So, 
Um, it, it's been fascinating. You know, the conversations that you might have with them about club selection are different. But, uh, you know, the bottom line about Justin is and, and why I, I uh, left this amazing job with television was that, you know, I think a tremendous amount of him as a person and as a player. And, I, you know, I watched him play. I think he's incredibly skilled. But more than that, it's like that's a guy I could spend six or seven hours a day around and thoroughly enjoy myself because we're just we're similar. We're similar sure. people. And, you know, it's chemistry. It's like anything else. I mean, certainly you want a, a caddy that can do the job. But, you know, it's a, it's a lot of time. And, you know, there's a lot going on out there. And it's it happens here in Los Angeles and it happens over there at St. Andrews. And it's all got to work. And so I always just I told my wife, I said, if Justin Thomas ever reaches out, that's the guy I'm going to say yes to. Really? You, you had said that. That's interesting. Before. Oh, yeah. oh I wow. I told my close friends and my wife, I said, you know, I love this caddy thing. I absolutely, excuse me, see me television thing. But I've always, I would, I would tell my bosses, I consider myself a caddy doing television. I wanted to do it from a caddy perspective. And I don't have all the answers by any means. But that was kind of like my approach. And, um, but I love the TV thing. And, and there were some, some folks that reached out about caddying while I was doing TV. And it was very nice of them to do that. But I, I did tell my wife on a couple of occasions, if Justin Thomas reaches out, I've got some serious thinking to do because I think the world of that guy. Wow. What are your thoughts? So this year's major schedule, obviously, you know, you got, you got Augusta, but then we got uh, Southern Hills, which will be two weeks after the, well, uh, the Wells Fargo here, uh, Brookline and St. Andrews. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on specifically Justin? What are your thoughts on those venues, but, but specifically Justin Thomas and, the, and his game and how it matches up with those venues? Well, you know, Justin's, you know, I, I, you know, I think Justin's an incredibly skilled player. The thing I love about Justin is he's got shots, right? You're not, you know, I don't, you know, if, if the guy goes out there and shoots 67 and, and hits nothing but draws, that's a great round of golf. But Justin's got shots. Sure. And, and, and I love that. So, you know, that, that translates well, especially on hard golf courses. But beyond that, I mean, this is an incredible year for the majors. Um, obviously, I don't think many of us have been back to Brookline since the infamous Ryder Cup in 1999. I'm proud to say I was there that week. Uh, St. Andrews is one of the two or three most amazing places I've ever been in my life. Can't wait for that. And I'm fired up about Southern Hills because, if I'm not mistaken, Gil Hance, uh, who is apparently turning out to be the golf doctor uh, of this generation, uh, has done the redo. And I can't wait to see what it looks like because I'm a big Gil Hance fan. Yeah, he's, he's actually doing a redo at a historic municipal course here in Washington, D.C. A lot of folks are, are excited about Rock Creek Park. One of the things I heard about you on a, on a podcast maybe two or, three, two, two or three years ago when you, when, you, uh, when you got into broadcasting was talking about all of the, you know, kind of the green books and the yardage mm-hmm. guides that you kept at your house. I'm curious, when, when someone like Justin Thomas reaches out, like, do you, like, Obviously, you've got an unbelievable amount of experience and knowledge from being a caddy for so long. But, you know, th- those old books, do you, do, you, do you pull them out of the drawers and out of the closet? And how much of those help? Oh, we've all got shoe boxes at home full of yardage books. And, uh, you know, some of them, not mine, are pretty legendary. Like, I've always wanted to see Tiger's St. Andrew's book because I've heard it's amazing. And I think maybe he let, loaned it to Annika one year when she right. went over there and played in, in a ladies' open championship. But, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're Michael Greller and you caddy for Jordan Spieth and you've been going out there the last several years at Augusta National and rolling balls 
you know, from every conceivable angle. You, you know, the, the reality is, as a caddy, you want to try and save your player a shot. And it might be on a Thursday or on a Sunday, and it might be a couple of shots a day. I mean, you, all, you want, you know, some kind of input that's going to help out the situation. And, and, and based on that, you know, the, some guys have these amazing, amazing yardage books. Of course, the greens books have been banned, thank goodness. Uh, that's just happened this year. It certainly hasn't affected scoring, sure. given what we've seen. Uh, I think it's very, very good for the game. I was a big fan of that. But you lose, use those green books in the practice rounds and everything, right? To, 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 or, or... Well, first of all, green, well, greens book aren't allowed at Augusta, but you you could potentially. I think I th- it's been a pretty fluid situation relative okay. to the greens books, and I'm certainly not an official. I think you could take them out there in the practice rounds, but you'd be put in a position where you'd have to memorize what mm-hmm. was going on. You can't translate the information into your book for right. Thursday through Sunday. But, uh, um, yeah, it's been, been a fascinating time. But, but, but to your point, yeah, these, these golf courses, a lot of them have changed. But, of course, St. Andrews isn't changing. And right. Augusta National changes a little bit here and there. And, you know, you, you know, some guys have the books and some guys have it in here in their heads. And, uh, you know, you, you're just hoping you can bring something to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, TPC Avenel, have you have you caddied at tournaments here? Number of times. You have. What are your thoughts on the course? I think it's great. I you know I haven't caddied since the redo. So I'm, ex- okay. you know, I, I'm, I'm I I love the fact you know I think a lot of guys love the fact that, that, that when they came back and I think it was the uh, one of the years I think with Kyle Stanley and like Charles Howell in a playoff. Or, yeah. uh, I'm, I can't remember exactly, but the course was yeah. much much tougher. Sure. And and and, and I like that. You know, because, uh, you know, so, you know, there are certain players you caddy for where you, know, you, you might want to go to a tournament and say, yeah, you know, 25 under one last year. This is perfect for my man. And then, you know, some players want to go to a tournament where six under one last year. It just depends on your game and what you got and what you like to see. Does but, a harder tournament mean there's more work for you? It's, it's like more of an opportunity uh, for you to contribute because it's not just a, a putting contest? That's a, great, that's a good question. It just, just depends. I mean, it's, it's about the player. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, all the caddies on the PGA Tour are very, very good. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly I'm sure there's the, the conversations are going to be longer on, on a course. And there's going to be more yeah. strategy. You're going to be talking more on Tuesday and Wednesday about potential plays and angles and things like that. Sure. But I think it's just more about what suits your player. I mean, some guys can't wait to get to Palm Springs and shoot 63 every day. <laughs> and some guys can't wait to get to Hartford. And, you know, you shoot, you know, one or two under, and then you guys are patting you on the back and, at lunch. So yeah. it's, just, it's just players, man. So with four uh, there's a question. I mean, you had four years away from being a caddy and obviously not away from being the game. A lot has changed in those four years, one of them being, and maybe I'm off on my timing, but there was, for, for a long time there, spectators couldn't bring cell phones into tournaments. And, and at some point, and I'm not sure what year it was, and where, where I'm getting this is I'm, I'm getting to the Waste Management Open a couple weeks ago. But, but at some point they said, you know, the, the cat's out of the bag, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, you know, fans have to have cell phones. The, the waste management, just, you guys were there, Justin Thomas played in it. Uh, in those four years away, have, have you seen much change in fan behavior, fan engagement, you know, with, with cell phones, everyone trying to take videos and get their stuff on social media? Like, how has that changed you know, from a caddy's perspective. One thing that's definitely changed for the better, a higher percentage of people have found that silent button. So you don't hear the click at the top of your backswing. Sure. You know, certainly when, when, uh, when cell phones first came out, and maybe if they never had that feature, that was a problem. Yeah. Um, I can remember a couple of times when, you know, players were, you know, it just it got a little crazy when you're at a highly attended event and, you know, you're just hearing that, you know, 
over and over at the top of your swing. But, you know, times have changed and people are aware and the volunteers do an amazing job. And these groups have security and the security might get out in front and say, hey, you know, ma'am or sir, would you please put your phone on silent? And that's great. Um, I mean, the, the waste management Phoenix Open is amazing. I live I'm a little biased, live two miles from the course. But, you know, the fact it wouldn't work if there was more than one of them. Mm -hmm. But there's one. Yeah. And you know what you're getting into. And if that doesn't do it for you, you don't have to play as a player. These players can play wherever and whenever they want. But it's incredible. And the number of people that turn out, the weather was, was fantastic this year. Um, it, it's just, it's a big party. And, and, and I was joking with another caddy, you know, you walk down the 17th hole this year and you've got these amazing corporate tents on the side of the, of the, of the hole and they've got this thumping music. And, you know, back in the day, you know, the players would play and the music, they, they don't even turn the music down right. anymore. It just goes. And again, that's what you're, that's what you sign up for and that's what you get. But uh, it's incredible. And, and I will say, because it has to be said, when you've got, you know, several hundred thousand people coming to your event and, you know, you're selling a lot of beer and people are having a good time, the charitable aspect of that tournament is unreal. So living there, I do know what it does for the community and, and how people are able to benefit, you know, in, in terms of helping out folks maybe in need or, or great causes. And so I just think that term is amazing on multiple levels. You're in town here to obviously help promote Wells Fargo. You're, you're, you're giving a, a talk to some of the membership tonight. Uh, one, one of the things I said, I don't know if this is true or not, but, but uh, there, were, there were some thoughts about having some media in, but they said, no, we want, we want Bones to be able to tell some good stories. So we're going to keep the media out of, of the banquet. Uh, any, any ideas for some, some, some topics on stories you're going to be telling tonight? Well, the thing about stories are, <laughs> you know, you, you have thousands of them. Sure. And, you know, they, they come to the forefront of your mind when something triggers it. You know, sure. if somebody raises their hand tonight and says, you know, tell a great tiger story, I, I can tell you a great tiger story. I mean, we drove out here today from the hotel and we start driving down the road to pull up to the clubhouse. And, you know, I, you know it, it all starts coming back. You know sure. what I mean? About things that have gone on here and about the rich beam win. And about the fact that when we were here, I think in 1997, I think we played the tournament here and then the U.S. Open in consecutive weeks. Okay. So guys would just rent houses, right? And they'd play here at TPC Avenel. And if you had a morning round on Thursday, you'd go over and play in Congressional in the afternoon. It, I've never had that experience before oh, wow. where you're basically, you know, practicing for a major the yeah. week of a regular tour event. So that was very interesting. So it, it's got a long history, as, as all these courses do. And you know, as caddies, you know, where you're observing and listening, you know, you do definitely run into some amazing stories. You've told on some previous interviews, you know, uh, Phil was well known as being kind of a practice round, um, maybe practice round hustler is the wrong word, but he liked, he liked to gamble a little bit in, in, in practice rounds. What about Justin? Is he, does he uh, throw, throw a little yeah, cash around? It's, that stuff's basically gone away. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I started caddying in 1990, there were definitely some pretty big money games on the tour. You know, um, you know, Phil was never afraid. VJ was never afraid. You know, guys like that. But you know, the times have changed. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And you know, you know, you, you, and ultimately, when you get a guy like Tiger who comes out and has the success that that he's had, but beyond that, how at times he's kind of outthought everybody. Sure. You know, you're going to pay attention to that, and you're going to follow that model. And, and when people saw how Tiger prepared, especially on site, a lot of guys, you know quite smartly started doing the same thing so in that you know tiger wasn't out there you know you know me and this guy will play you and that guy tiger was out there working 
You know, Tiger was getting as much out of his five hours on that golf course as he possibly could, and, and, and people have followed suit since. Any thoughts on Tiger? You know, you're, you're obviously a million times more inside than anybody else in this room uh, on, uh, you know, his, his prospects of playing golf again? Well, you know, first of all, I'm a huge fan, and he changed my life and hundreds of people's lives. I caddied on the tour pre-Tiger. I caddied on the tour, and we slept four to a hotel room before that young man showed up and changed everything for everybody, right? You know, caddies' lives, you know, officials' lives, certainly the players' lives, you know. When I started caddying on the tour, you won a tour event, $144,000. That's a lot of money. Sure. But Tiger shows up and wins the Masters, and the world starts watching and things start to change, and all of a sudden now, you know, you could make an amazing living as a professional golfer, even more amazing, and, and some of that trickled down to us. So I don't talk about Tiger without ever saying thank you for changing my life and, and the lives of my friends that also caddy. Um, I did see him play at the um, PNC Challenge uh, in, in, with his son in yeah. December, and, you know, He's, he's still very much Tiger. There were a couple of times when, you know, Justin came to me and he goes, watch this. Justin's played so much golf, he could kind of see it coming. And he'd hit that shot that made that sound, that reacted like the ball did as it took off into the wind. And, you know, all I can tell you is that there are a lot of people on the PGA Tour that cannot wait to, to pick up their phone at some point in the future and see that he's committed to play an event. I certainly, I don't know where that's going to be. I know he talked a lot about it last week in L.A. in terms of how he's feeling, but it can happen soon enough, and we all love him. Well stated. Um, th there's not many caddies that are household names. You're, you're, you're one of them. Um, active caddies, gosh, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know Michael Greller, there, there, there's, there's a few. Fluff. Fluff. Local Fluff. guy. Fluff, he's, a, he's a member of Congressional you right up the street. Is. Absolutely. Uh, but, but, you know, household, I mean, hardcore PGA Tour fans know a lot. But like the average weekend warrior golf fan who, who pays attention a little bit doesn't know a ton. Give, give us a couple caddy names that you, you know, well, let me, let me phrase it a different way. Are there, are there caddies that in, in the group of caddies you're like, wow, that guy, that guy's worth a couple strokes a week. Like he, he's, he's or, or a couple more strokes than your average sure. caddy. I know, you know what you're what I mean? saying. Yeah, you know, it's, I will say about caddy nicknames, first of all, shout out to Fred Couples, who gave me mine. Sure. You know, again, when I started caddying in 1990, again, pre-Tiger when things were different, you know, you could very easily come into a caddy nickname that you wouldn't be proud to tell grandma, <laughs> right? So to get something as G-rated and easily as bones, sure. I got it from Fred, thank you. So, um, but... My last name's Dixon, I got, I've got a few of those. Got it, got it. So, um, but yeah, you know... We all know out there, you know, we, we, we watch, we pay attention, and, you know, you can look at a guy like Austin Johnson, DJ's brother, mm -hmm. you know, who, who wasn't Dustin's first caddy, but he's came, come out and done an amazing job reading greens for, for, for DJ. You know, that, you know, you can look at that situation, you know, that guy's made a big difference in that guy's career, as amazing as DJ Arthur Putting was. used to be his weak spot, now he's one well, of the best putters yeah, in the world. I, yeah, I don't follow stats, but you can just see the interaction between the two and said AJ's bringing a lot here. Sure. So that's fun to see, and it, it makes you want to be better at what you do and, and learn certain things. So, um, you know, but everybody out there is really good because, uh, you know, there's a lot at stake out there now. It's, it's not the old days anymore, and, and, you know, we're not staying out you know, drinking beers later than we should, you know, we're in bed and, and as we should be, and it's very, very professional. Got it. Very cool. 
Um, so you've you've caddied some tournaments here. Uh, you live in you live in the Scottsdale area. Um, you still play much golf? I mean, during the, the time that you were a broadcaster for four years, obviously you're extremely busy. Did that allow you to play some more golf? Uh, I love golf. The older I play, I get, the more I like to play. Um, you know, certainly because I'm in my 50s now, I don't play like I used to, which drives me nuts. But I love to get out and hit balls and try and figure out why I'm not as good as I used to be. Um, but I just think it's the greatest game in the world. You know, uh, you know, if it's a pretty day. I go out and play with my friends in Arizona. But to me, it's that it's just that game where it takes you places and you meet people. And as a kid, I had to figure out a way to, you know, if I get paired up with the, the local banker and I'm just this dumb old me over here, I need to learn how to communicate with that guy and figure out how certain things work. And I think that's what golf does for you. It can kind of take you places if you if you take care of it and you learn it, you know, to the best of your abilities. And again, I grew up in a town with no money that had a municipal golf course that I could play for free after three o'clock. And the fact that that happened for me in New Smyrna Beach, Florida changed my life. So I'm grateful for that. You, you played some college golf, right? I did. I wasn't particularly good. I was that guy on a division two school that you could count on to shoot 74 or five, you know, whatever. But, you know, I was, it was never going to go beyond that. Um, and, uh, you know, is there pressure to? I mean, now, now not the case. Now you're in the now you're in the the, the caddy hall of fame. You've you've been doing it forever. You're, you're the, arguably the most well known caddy on the planet. But when you're when you're starting out in those first few years, is there any pressure to like keep your game strong to to, to add like an air of legitimacy to what you're talking about? Your your own playing game. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I I just think that you know. It's definitely not a prerequisite. You know, I'm not going to, but I could name a ton of amazing caddies that, you know, aren't, you know, top amateur players by any means. Sure. Um, but, you know, the thing about caddying, it's like it's, it's like six or seven different jobs all rolled into one. And, and you know, you, you have to be able to read the room as a caddy. Uh, but certainly to your point about, you know, playing well, I do believe that if you putt well as a caddy, and you br- bring a certain something in terms of reading greens, that's obviously going to help you a- a- at work. Yeah, right. But, but beyond that, it's about learning your player, how he or she ticks, and uh, reading the room. And again, you know, getting in there and getting out and, and, and bringing something to the table. Um, the Wells Fargo, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure, do you know the history on this? Wells Fargo presents a, a caddy award. Are they, are they the only tournament that does this? No, actually, you know, it, it's gotten really cool. Um, the uh, the Evans Scholar folks definitely do that through the BMW tournament a little later in the year. They've given yeah. out some awards. Uh, you know, it, some tournaments have done some really nice things. Like if you caddy for someone that wins the players, uh, the next year you get to park in player parking, which may not sound like much, but that's incredibly cool. Sure. So, you know, times have changed for the caddies. And, you know, I can remember a number of years ago, actually, Wells Fargo, you know, just typically played in Charlotte at Quail Hollow. When the Quail Hollow tournament started, and I don't know the year, that was actually a tournament that changed caddy lives because it was the first tournament to basically say, we're going to treat these guys like the players. They're not going to go and park at the elementary school six miles away and get shuttled in. They're going to valet right here with the players. Things like that. The quality of the food is going to be as good as the players. And that tournament started, the Wells Fargo, and it was like Christmas for us. Really? And other tournaments took notice. Yeah. And it changed the way caddies were treated to a large degree on the tour. So in my opinion, I think a lot of people's opinions, we are incredibly grateful to Wells Fargo as caddies for being 
the fir- being the first tournament to be ultra cool to, to, to us guys toting the golf bags out there. Very cool. Uh, I'll, I'll leave, uh, last question here. So, so let's, let's, let's pretend I'm listening to this podcast and I'm a, I'm a 17-year-old kid who's caddying over at, at Chevy Chase Club or Congressional. And, you know, I, we've, got, we've got, you know, arguably the, the, the world's most famous caddy in the room. You've been doing it forever. You know, how, do, how does someone make that leap from club caddy to trying to, to get on, uh, you know, a tour player's back? Well, I will say I'll call myself the world's luckiest caddy. Okay. okay? I will say that. I've been lucky. Um, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it was when I started. Obviously, again, that's pre-Tiger. Sure. Things, times have changed. But now when people ask me that, I say treat it a little bit like baseball. Minor leagues first. Sure. You know, and, and you know, if, if, you, if you call Corn Ferry AAA, you know, or another tour, you know, the, the reality is you've got a lot to learn as a caddy. You've got to learn the players. You've got to learn how to communicate with these guys. You've got to, of course, learn the nuts and bolts. But you've got to kind of, you know, you've got to figure out your craft, if you will, and how you're going to go about doing this. And so, you know, I would imagine there's opportunities to do that. It, you know, you've got to meet people I, like myself. You've got to get a couple of lucky breaks and just try and get your foot in the door. But you, you can't really start on the PGA Tour anymore. That's virtually impossible. But uh, if you want it bad enough, I would say that opportunity is out there. Very cool. Uh, well, listen, this has been a, a tremendous pleasure. I really appreciate you taking uh, a few minutes to come on the Beltway Golfer podcast. Uh, I, I didn't even ask that. Have you, have you ever played any golf in this area? I, that's always my last question is about local golf. Uh, I haven't played much. I have played <laughs> RTJ. Okay. I played RTJ a number of years ago with Jim Courier, the tennis player. Oh, wow. And Mike Mills uh, from the greatest rock band of all time, R.E.M. Um, <laughs> Very cool. We were on some kind of trip that involved uh, having fun and playing golf, and we played in the area. Um, I played a couple. I will say that I did a speaking engagement in Baltimore last year when we were at Kays Valley. Okay. And I did it at Baltimore Country Club Five Farms. Yep. That's a place I want to go play. I mean, I'm, I really love old school golf courses. Yeah. And I know there are a number in this area. Sure. And uh, but, you know, you say words to me like Tillinghast or Ross or Seth Rayner. I'm all in. Yeah. But I love the game like everybody listening to your show. And, you know, I look forward to the next time we get to tee it up. Very cool. Well, I appreciate it very much. Uh, best of luck with the, with the season with Justin Thomas. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. We're with Gary Soba. Uh, tournament director of the Wells Fargo Championship. We're here. Is this, what is this? Is this the executive boardroom? Is that what I was told? I believe it is. Uh, we're out at uh, TPC Avenel, uh, Potomac, Maryland. Uh, so let's start. So tournament director. How, how many, is this your first Wells Fargo's tournament director or you've done a few? This will be my fifth. Your fifth? Yeah, when, uh, stands the COVID year, so fourth tournament. Got it. So you, you, this is old hat for you. And so each, each one of these prior has been at Quail Hollow. It has been. I don't know if old hat. I think they're all like snowflakes. They're a little different. Uh, certainly, this is a big change up here, but we're excited about the challenge, and we're thrilled to be here at TPC Potomac. Let me let me start with a basic question, and, and this might not. This might. I don't know. This might have anything to do with you or not. But like the decision to be, you know, the President's Cup is at Quail Hollow. Mm-hmm. That is why this the Wells Fargo is going to be at TPC Avenel. Mm-hmm. The decision to choose TPC Avenel, who, who is that? Our, our, tour? Title, our title partner, Wells Fargo, chose that with, in conjunction with the tour. You obviously have to go to a market. There's not an annual event. Yeah. Uh, TPC uh, Potomac has hosted a, a events before. Players love the golf course, but they know it's extremely hard. 
but it made a lot of sense. And, and for Wells Fargo, getting their customers here was a lot easier than... In 17, there was a conflict with the PGA at Quail Hollow, and they went to Wilmington. Right. It was just, it was, you know, smaller market, not near as many airports. It was tougher to get their customers. So they elected to come here, and we're thrilled about it. And 17 was the PGA Championship, correct? Correct. And did I get it correct that the PGA Championship is going to be back at Quail Hollow in 2025? Correct. We, that's, that's why this year is critically important and that uh, we want to make this thing successful. There'll be a conflict again three years down the road. And many locations and many courses don't want annual golf. They love the idea about bringing the PGA Tour in every several years because it doesn't shut down their course. But it makes their course and brings that big-time allure and feel that people love hosting a PGA Tour event. So to that point, does that mean like the Wells Fargo in 2025, it's almost like a, you know, people trying to find an uh, Olympic city, like people are bidding for it? Is it like a competitive kind of atmosphere of other courses trying to be that course, the, one, the one-off? No, I, I would say that would be uh, uh, probably not the case. I think Wells would choose what city they want to go to versus a course coming after the tournament trying to host. Tournament director. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm a novice here. Tell, give, me, give me the kind of the, the 10,000 foot view on, on, I'm sure it's a lot. What, what is, what's the roles and responsibilities of the tournament director? You're engaged all facets of the tournament. I probably focus more on the revenue side. Uh, have a, a assistant uh, tournament director who's really good. She's really terrific running the operations side. And the, the, our director of operations has built this event before. Uh, when the tournament was played here. So that side kind of takes care of itself. One of your real challenges when you go on the road is driving top-line revenue mm-hmm. uh, because we're a charity, and uh, your expenses are kind of fixed. Yeah, you can you can hope save here and there, but you got to be able to drive top-line revenue. So you focus, one, on, on just the business mechanics. Two, you got to focus on player recruitment. And more or less, any more schedules are predetermined. Guys are going to pick and choose where where they're going to go. So it's harder in the recruiting aspect. But then, all facets of the tournament you oversee. You know whether it's it's you know we've got somebody that goes out and gets the hotel space uh, for not only players but the media. We may go and look at private housing uh, as it relates to you know players who want private housing and work through all those aspects. And then it's just you know it's business. You know we sure. have twelve full time uh, staff members. That's a year work year round. Uh, and, you know, we plan and, and have been up here multiple times. We hired somebody up here two years ago to uh, to really kind of lead our business development efforts. Mm-hmm. So they've been out there. We've had two people. Then we brought our entire sales staff up here this last June. That's interesting. The, I mean, the, you, you touched on a lot there. There's a lot of different roles responsibilities. But the player recruitment. So uh, what, what, is the, what is the total field? 156 golfers. 156. Yes. And ballpark, I don't need an exact number, but how, like, what's the commitment? Like today we are in, where are we in the, we're in the last Tuesday of February. So we've got two and a half months to go. Like, how, I'm just curious, like, right, how, right how now, many commitments now? In fact, I looked right now, we have 132. Oh, but wow. it's all based on priority level. Sure. It's going, you know, if you've won the U.S. Open, you have X exemption. He's above somebody that's won the Players' Championship, who's above somebody who finished in the top 125 last year, who's above somebody who's in the uh, Corn Ferry top 25. Right. So you all go to levels. Well, wherever 156 falls, that's mm-hmm. where it ends. Then you have eight exemptions. So you really put 148 plus eight exemptions. Two of those are former players. Two would be kind of called Corn Ferry uh, spots. And then four could be the three of us plus somebody else. Four would are non-exempt. We can put anybody in. <laughs> 
Are you so, pr so are you pretty heavily involved in selecting those four kind of? We're very involved. We have a committee that looks and chooses, and and you know, we, there's a lot of different metrics, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you want to find out who's who's interested. Sure. Two, do you have anybody that you know might be a star college player? Do you have somebody that you know might be foreign that needs an exemption? Uh, do you have a a somebody that just fell outside the? cut line and you know he's an up-and-comer mm -hmm. so you know you typically go after people that are going to help your tournament yeah you know uh, can they sell tickets sure uh, are they somebody that you know down the road has got star power and really has game so there's a lot of metrics and thought that goes into that john daly's gotten a few of those over the years hasn't he <laughs> um that, that just that just the john daly just just to sidetrack myself um I totally just sidetracked myself thinking because I, I literally just I went and saw John Daly at Hooters down at, 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 oh, a, at, at the PGA show in Orlando, oh, which is a whole other story. We'll cut that out. Um, how many attendees uh, or tickets will we sell? It'll be interesting. Uh, we don't have a good baseline there, but you know, when we're in Charlotte, we're from 180 to 240,000. Oh you know, I, I, I that's don't, total I, through five days. Through, yes, and we're open all seven there. We'll be open Wednesday through Sunday here. Um, I, I think I have a hard time feeling that 100,000. Will we have 100,000? Wow. Maybe. You know, we're we're sold out in our chalets on 18. We're working on our premium sales in other areas. So, but is there a max per day that this that these grounds can hold? Uh, that answer, I don't have a number. If there yeah. is a specific sure. number, but you we're know, golf I, tournament I, crazy I, around here. I, I think we could easily put 30,000 people out here. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that you know. This is a local podcast. This is all about DC golf, and you know we don't have a regular tour stop. This is the first time in the D.C. area in four years. Since 2018. And, you know, right. As we talked about, there's a vacuum because it won't be back, or at least right now it's not scheduled to come back until 2031. Right. So been four years, could be nine more years, but you know, I think that's one of the things we want to knock this thing out of the park and potentially come back in 25. Yeah. So as a tournament director, and you're talking about all the different logistics that you're responsible for, I mean, putting on a, a PGA Tour tournament, uh, I watched a video, I think it was the, the tournament director, a scratch TV, put a, it was a little like three or four minute video, but the, the tournament director for the Travelers Championship. And he was talking about, I mean, you're, you're basically putting together a temporary city out here. You know, you know water, well said. water, power, infrastructure. Um, there's, there's, there's an awful lot of moving parts. When Bus, busing, concessions, the build, the field, you know, security. All the roping, all the marshalling. And we'll have 1,500 volunteers throughout the week. And they aren't just our all marsh marshals. We'll have some people at the airports. They'll never see a golf shot all week. But you're going to have 1,500 people that have donated their time to come out and, and assist with us with the tournament. They may work one day. They may work all five days. So you have different committees. You have 22 different committees that do various things. So we're, we're 10 or 12 weeks out. The tournament is the first Sunday, first week of May. the second May. through the 8th of May. Which is which is Mother's Day weekend. It is. Uh, but like my, what I'm getting at is like you know obviously the, the the work for a term like this could start a while ago. But when when is the on-site work? We'll we'll start the build here in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. So we're two months out. Two months out, you typically, you know, you put shovel in the dirt and you start the build. Can you talk about you know some of like the the most recent tournament I went to uh, was out of Caves Valley, the BMW Championship last year, which was the the, the closest we've had here in recent years. And, you know, the, the VIP um, kind of structures, the viewing areas, um, it, been, it, it was so much more than I remember at the previous tournament, which was probably that, that one here in 2018. 
um, are we gonna, are we looking at like similar infrastructure? I mean, is there going to be like a trophy club and a this and a that and all these different areas? It, it, it's hard for me to know not having attended either here or and I was I was not able to get to uh, Caves Valley uh, due to personal reasons. But you know, we'll have the Capital Club. It'll be the only clubhouse access high end club that that has valet parking. We're going to build a deck off the back porch slash veranda. It's going to be very close to 18T, so that's our highest end club. Then on 16, 17, we're going to have the exec club, which is all F&B included as well. Fun club, a lot of business opportunities to be out there. Below that is what's called the lounge, which is on 17T. That's a drinks inclusive, more fun, younger, a little less expensive, where people can go and get rowdy. Uh, so, you know, you try to build, then you have... 1920 chalets sold on number 18 Mm -hmm. and you've got a military outpost you have a member's tent so you try to do something all different price points to be able to gauge and 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 deliver to all different you know kind of socioeconomic levels have you seen that and just in like the four tournaments that you've done with wells fargo over the course of five years have you seen that just that aspect grow oh massively Massively. so what i'm getting at is you know where where you know what, what, what do you see the Wells Fargo Championship as an example in terms of, of, of this kind of thing, like, you know, private areas, like areas with, with increased access or increased inclusive, you know, food and drink and beverage five, ten years from now? Well, I think it's, it, it's very robust. I think it continues to grow at a double-digit rate. Uh, you know, I think for us, if we had a database here, having been here previously, it's a lot easier with renewals. And to build that base, we're kind of starting at ground zero. So it makes it a little bit more challenging to go out and find that you know that that fan but i think if you're the annual golf you just continue to grow and you knock it out of the park and you'll, you'll see double digit growth every year this is the, the, the first time you're coming up into the dc area um you know are there a lot of other local organizations that you have to get involved kind of early to kind of get them on board well a couple things we hired a, a an individual who handled the northern virginia chamber of commerce and we put together a 12 person advisory board so for two two and a half years we've had civic and community leaders out there that one love golf two want to be involved and you know i'm sure there's a lot of committees you're involved that the amusement factor and they may not be high we sure. you know we we think this is builds and i think we're going to have a high amusement factor but they've been very helpful helpful for us in terms of opening doors uh giving us leads uh, closing deals um and you know it's, it takes those civic and, and, and community leaders to do that so been very very helpful uh, especially that, pre, especially if you didn't have a relationship pre-covid it's yeah. more challenging it's got to be more a lot of challenging especially when you're you're based in one area you know you're at Cuyahalla, you're in north carolina and then coming to a new area to host a tournament just almost as a one-off to try to move operations. I mean, you're, you're ba- like yourself, you're based and your team is based in North Carolina, right? Correct. So a lot of these are kind of relationships you got to build, you Correct. know, kind of on, on the fly. And we've been here for a year, but but there's no doubt it's a challenge. Sure. But, but it's been fun doing it. Um, back to the players for a second. One of the, one of the things that we, we actually spoke about uh, before we started taping was, you know, Wells Fargo, as far as like the quality of field, it, it's in a great spot in the, in the PGA Tour calendar. It's been – how long has it been two, exactly two weeks before the PGA Championship? It's been like Sorry, that long. PGA got moved a year ago. You yeah. know what? Maybe two years ago. But but two weeks prior to that, we think it's perfect. We think the first week of May is perfect. We think in this market, the golf course should be in fantastic condition. Rough may not have grown up, which probably the players will like even more. Sure. You know, so we, th- we think weather-wise, you know, the previous events were midsummer. I mean, I think the last time here was 97 degrees every day and hot and humid. So – 
But so that's a good point. So since the PJ Championship moved, did you see a noticeable difference in strength of field? We've, the Wells Fargo Championship always had a killer field. In yeah. fact, you saw at Genesis this past week, they had all the top 10 players in the world. Yeah. Last time that had happened was at the Wells Fargo Championship in 2007. Oh, wow. So the Wells has always had a, a rock star field. Yeah. So It shows in some of the winners yeah. you've had, certainly. But there is a change in schedule this year because there's a New Mexico event the week before ours. Okay. Well, we think that should assist us. You know, right now with COVID, how many people will go, you know, south? You know, it may be over by then, but but we yeah. think we think there'll be, you know, it's us, or it's the Zurich Team Championship, mm-hmm. Mexico, us, AT and T in Dallas, and then Southern Hills, oh. and and a lot of a lot of players won't play the week before major. Sure. So we feel like for us, it's an excellent position, perfect time of year. Yeah. Um, Rory's coming back, right? We certainly hope so. Hasn't committed yet. Yeah, has not committed yet, but, you know, we certainly hope he will defend his title. He's won this three times. He's the only <laughs> one that's won more than one time. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. But you've had some great winners this tournament. I was, I was looking back at the list. Oh, it's I mean, a, it's a, it's a, Ricky Fowler, Tiger Woods. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. Jim Burek, um, you, you just... Anthony Kim, where is he? But he, one, of, one of his few wins was here, you know, at, at, at the Wells Fargo. That is a good question. Where is, <laughs> that's a very good question. We, we talked about associations and partnerships that you've been building in the area. You know, obviously the military is big around here. Um, can, can you talk about, uh, at all about any of the specifics around, you yeah. know, some of the partnerships Absolutely. you've made? Absolutely. And let me talk more global. The PGA Tour is all about charity. Uh, the tournament has donated over $26 million since the start of the, of, of the tournament. And this year, we are guaranteed a minimum of three-quarters of a million will go back to the local market, to local charities. Certainly, if we're more successful, I mean, we are not going to profit a penny. Any profits, if there are any, would go back into charity. So certainly in this area, uh, there will be some of that going to, to, to the military component. We will have military outposts on, on 16 Green. This year, we have a number of, uh, of the military involved with us. The active military will g- receive two free tickets, and all veterans receive half-price tickets. Oh, nice. So, you know, it's a great opportunity for, you know, the military to come out, and they love golf. The military outpost, is that an area where, like, veterans get access to a certain exactly. area? Or actives, absolutely. Okay. We'll have a, have a large, we'll have food in there every day, we'll have drink in there every day. So, yeah, it's a great way to come out and enjoy one of the four days, if not all four. Uh, I imagine listeners of this podcast are, you know, back to, you know, we're, we're hungry for, for tournament golf in this area because we haven't had it super often recently. Um, practice, there's going to be an pra- open practice day Wednesday? Wednesday, the, the course will be open Wednesday through Sunday. Wednesday through Sunday. Wednesday's a pro-am. Pro-am. The top okay. 104 golfers in the field are required to play in that pro-am. They play nine. It's called a nine and nine format. You play with four amateurs, play with one pro on the front side, one pro on the back side. But, but every, every professional in the tournament that is required to play in the Pro-Am. So uh, it's a great day to come out, bring the kids out. And then I mentioned children 15 and under admitted free the entire week. There's no other professional sport like that. So we encourage families to come out. And then Sunday's Mother's Day, hey, give Mother a day off, bring her out here, buy her a drink, great food, enjoy a wonderful day. Yeah, uh, that, that, that sounds fantastic. The Pro-Ams, um, from, from what I know about Pro-Ams, that, that, that's got to be a pretty decent Contribution to the to the top line revenue. Those aren't those, typically those aren't super uh, super cheap to get in. Uh, we 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 are sold out on Monday, and we actually oh, nice. have two groups available on Wednesday. They are thirty thousand uh, dollars, but by some standards, that is inexpensive. Uh, but it's a priceless experience to come out and you enjoy a great dinner on Tuesday night, and spend a full day with your customers or or friends or clients on on Wednesday. So it's a great two day atmosphere. Well, I'm just curious. What's ha- so? What's happening on the course Monday, Tuesday? Tuesday is like a private players' practice round. 
Monday is a pro-am, and then Tuesday it is. That's the practice day, and then there's a women's day Tuesday afternoon. So from 3 right. to 6, we'll so have So Monday's a, a private pro-am. Correct. And then Tuesday, the women's day, we've got a robust, really, a group of speakers. Uh, we'll have, and it's not a rubber chicken, boring women's day. This is, you're going to have a clinic, putting clinic. You're going to have wine tasting. You're going to have nice, we're uh, going to merchandise, some shopping. So great day for women to come out and enjoy so that's, that's something that women can buy tickets to? Correct. Oh, interesting. They will be going on sale this week. Got it. And, but, and then will, people, will there be people playing the course that day, or it's more all, just clinics? All, and All the pros will be out that day. Got it. Oh, all the pros cool. play nine or 18 holes on Tuesday. They'll typically hit balls, and they'll either play the front nine or the back nine. Got it. Kind of opposite what they're going to play in the Pro-Am on Wednesday. As the tournament director, do you have any communication with um, the experience of the, whoever ran the tournament in 2018 for the Quicken Loans. I, yes, I know Mike quite well. Yeah, and, and, and do they do like, hey, this is this maybe this was a mistake we made, avoid this, that sort of thing. Well, he's been an all star. He's one of the best in the business. So we've we've had multiple breakfast, lunch, we played golf together. So, you know, they did such a wonderful job. But yeah, he talks about, hey, you need to think about this, or you might want to think about this. So, been very helpful. Has yeah. uh, got grades and, and put on a number of wonderful tournaments here. So. Uh, he and, and his staff, uh, both Mike and, and Danny, have been very yeah. helpful to us. And that's the fraternity. I mean, everybody, sure. it's it's really not competitive. It's, yeah. hey, how do we assist? Because it all benefits charity. I guess, I, and I was almost more asking it from the angle of, of a fan. Like, I was at that tournament, and Tiger was there. And so, obviously, you get, you know, you got 10, 15, 20 deep people just following around Tiger. And, you know, there are, like with any course and in any tournament as with, with ropes, there's bottlenecks in areas. So I'm curious if, 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 you know, does that sort of thing, you know, do you tweak that from year to year or, or from those conversations that you have with the previous well, director? It's interesting. Our operations director handled that tournament as well. So okay. we had our homework already done the way in. So it helped us the fact that the guy that put on Tiger's tournament is putting on our tournament. A guy named Tony Schuster, who's the best in business. Got it. And then who's, I, I imagine someone from the tour comes in and, and, and sets up all the actual. Our advanced official, Dave Donnelly, will come in the week before. He'll, he'll, uh, paint everything, you know, whether it's a lateral, whether it's a, a, uh, a water hazard, you know, set up any any OB, all that, that that all gets done the week before and painted and ready to go for tournament week. How's the uh, how's the DC golf community uh, doing so far in, in ticket sales? Are, are we stepping up to the plate? And- you know, it's really early, uh, so that's a, it's a very fair question. And, you know, it's it's an important year. You know, this yeah. is an important year because everybody's looking at this. Hey, does, does DC want annual golf? Sure. You know, hey, will will DC step up and will they buy tickets? Will they come out and support a tournament like this? I think that's the kind of TBD question. We certainly hope so. And that's something I think the average fan probably doesn't think about. You know, if we if if we as a community of golf fans don't sell out this tournament, might not get another one for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody would look at it that way. <laughs> right. I, think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Uh, well, I'm going to be here. Uh, I haven't I haven't shared with you. I haven't shared with my listeners, but I actually signed up. I'm going to be on the ShotLink team for a couple oh, of days. Oh, terrific! Yeah. Terrific. I thought I've never I've never volunteered at a tour event, and uh, I wanted the experience. If if nothing else, just to, just that's to say best, I did it. That's the best committee to be on. I mean, you're right in the action, ShotLink. And yeah. it's interesting with gambling going on now. With that's like the most important. They may do a background check on you. You may be in trouble. <laughs> I might. Yeah, I might get disqualified. Absolutely. You but uh, but with gambling, the length and putts and so forth, all critical in terms yeah. of, you know, with, with FanDuel. Yeah, are they, are they checking to make sure I'm not gambling on a certain putt before well, I... Well, <laughs> it might have to. <laughs> <laughs> Disable your FanDuel account before you come on. Oh, that's funny. 
Uh, but that's relatively new, right? I mean, the shot like yes, I mean it's, it's all. I mean, shot link didn't exist several years ago. So yeah, but now length of putts and where they are and the accuracy, all that is very, very critical. It's probably our most important committee. Is that? I mean, again, so so five years, four tournaments you've done. You know what? You know we, we've talked about some of the changes just in that short period of time. But you know, are there other others that, uh, as far as just changes, just in five years that you've seen in running these tournaments? Well, I, I would say the gambling components coming on probably because we it has not been legalized in some states yet, so we haven't seen the full ramifications of it. But in certain states, it has. That's a that's a, from a sponsorship perspective, it's a massive new category. Mm-hmm. But it also comes with you know you got to make sure that's done absolutely positively, you know, correctly. Um, so those are things that I think every tournament that's got to work through those issues. Have tournaments started to talk about having like actual brick and mortar is not the right term, but like a physical location to gamble mid tournament for uh, attendees? Some have. That, some that have. hasn't happened yet at a tournament. Uh, has it? I would have to go by state, but I know at the at the Phoenix Open this weekend there was a, a large sponsor. I don't know that they could gamble right there, but there yeah. was a large activation area tied to interesting uh, one of the one of the. That will be tricky. As I said that, I just remember I'm, I'm a resident of Virginia where you're allowed to do it online, but in Maryland, Maryland, not quite yet. I think it's up for a bill, but um, that, that's, that's an interesting component that kind of, that kind of changes the, uh, the equation on, you know, yeah. on watching a golf tournament. Um, I think, you know, final thing, golf's at an all-time high popularity-wise. You know, COVID was so good to golf. More people are playing. Merchandise sales are up. Viewers are up. There's no metrics. I, I th- there's not a metric right now. I think that you could say that golf is at an all-time high. So I think well, that's one of the things we're excited about coming up here. What was that like last year, at, you know, when you had a year off without a tournament because of COVID, and then you came back to Quail Hollow for the 2020 tournament? Well, unfortunately, they capped us in ticket sales. So we were we were capped at 15000 and generally, we were right at 15000 but we wish we could have sold a lot more. So it's the first time we've ever been capped. Oh, you wow. know, so historically, you know, I've had 40000 plus out there. So, you know, your demand is, was off the charts early because people just were dying to get back out. Yeah, very cool. Uh, well, I'm certainly excited. Uh, May second through eight. Excited? No, you're volunteering for us. That's I'm, tremendous. I'm going to be here, man. I'm going to be working. Link. I'm going to be. I'm going to be out here from all different you're angles. Tell me what hole you're on. I got to come find you. I, I haven't gotten the schedule yet. Are you working out? Getting ready for it? You're going to have to. Uh, I, I, I probably should. <laughs> I actually did think about that because I'm not. As I've gotten old and my belly's gotten big, I'm not really good at standing still. Oh, you're because my back starts are hurt, and I, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think wind sprints are in your order here, so that's no question. <laughs> have to do, I might do some a crash course in yoga for the next couple months. We'll see. Uh, well, Gary, I, I really appreciate you taking Thank some time to, to, to tell us about uh, the tournament and all uh, the inner workings and, and, and how it gets put together. And uh, I know the community here is really excited to, uh, to come out and, and cheer everybody on. We're so excited to be here. Awesome. Great stuff. Excellent. Thank nice you. to meet you. Thank you. I don't have a good golf game. But I don't really care. I'm a, I'm a regular dude living in D.C., and I want to know about D.C.-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about D.C. golf. 